Christmas Sunday morning is a special time, and that's why I'm wearing a jacket for all of you. But I want to say this. What you've just done in worship is something that you will get to do for all of eternity. And what you just did in coming to spend time on this Christmas Sunday morning in the presence not only of one another, but in the presence of Christ, is something that the Lord Jesus himself is endeared to. If you're here this morning for the first time, I want to say thanks for coming, but thanks more for coming to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to speak to you. Because with all that goes on during Christmas time, it's so easy for us not to be centered uh, on Christ himself, and we're going to be looking at that today. But it's in one of these kinds of moments where whether you're here in person or you're watching online, that it's critical for us to have our hearts prepared to open up to hear from him for wherever we're at in our own personal life. And for us to be sensitive to the voice of God himself who speaks through his Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus himself that we worship this morning. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, on this Christmas Sunday morning, we ask, Jesus, that you would prepare our hearts to receive you as surely as you called the Israelites of old to receive you as the Messiah who was born into this world. And we pray on this Christmas Sunday morning that we'd be able to set aside distractions of the hour, distractions of the week, and we would be able to continue in that spirit of worship to lift up to you our praise and lift to you our very lives as an act of worship. So, Lord, may your blessing be upon your word as we re-engage that story of 2,000 years ago. But, Lord, may we be receptive to your voice in this hour, in this year. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've simply titled some of our thoughts in these days the idea of more than this Christmas I want more this Christmas. You're probably thinking, do I need one more gift for somebody? Well, we transitioned that last week and we said, you know, it's sort of idea of, yes, more for Christmas is good, but how about more of something else? And we said, more than a story. And so we looked at last week the nativity story. And the nativity story is the story that we unpack at Christmas time, right? It's Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, and we have the shepherds and the wise men, the nativity scene sets. Uh, we talked about that last week, how that's sort of a reminder and was brought into vogue a number of years back by uh, Francis of Sisi. And we have this beautiful moment to capture the story again. But is it more than a story to you? And so we summed it up last week in this regards, is that we need to experience Christmas not as an isolated event or a seasonal celebration, but as part of the ongoing God story of our personal salvation, everyday hope, and eternal glory. So that's what we looked at last week, more than a story. Well, what I want us to look at today is this. I want us to look at the reality of that it's more than a baby, more than a baby. And uh, so much is focused around the infant child, and it's just an amazing, wonderful, incredible thing, the reality of the baby Jesus. But this is my desire for us this morning. My desire for us this morning is that somehow I really got jumped ahead there. 
Did I just hold my button down? I'll go back. There. We need to experience Jesus not as the baby character in the Christmas nativity scene, but as God himself who comes near to change all things in the world for eternity and in our lives today. It was the uh, Russian um, comedian, uh, Yovak Shmernov. Uh, he moved here from the Ukraine a number of years ago, and he says he was fascinated when he came to the United States. And one of the things he loved was to go into grocery stores. He says, man, the grocery stores were incredible. He says, I would walk down an aisle, and I would see uh, powdered milk. Add water, and you get milk. And right next to that was powdered orange juice. Add water and get orange juice. And then he saw powder, baby powder. And he thought to himself, man, what a country. That's pretty incredible, right? Well, you do not uh, add water and get a baby. You don't. Now, there may be the breaking of water and you get a baby born, right? But a baby just does not come into being, right? It's a miracle in of itself. And so when we worship the idea that Jesus became a baby, that's amazing, right? But Jesus is more than a baby. He's more than the baby character that we have placed in our nativity manger scenes. And I have uh, come to realize that in our culture today, the idea that Jesus was more than a baby or Jesus was more than someone that walked on this earth, that Jesus was more than someone who was a good spiritual man or had good thoughts, that Jesus being more than a baby is quickly eroding. And that there's the reality that we need to capture the wonder of who Christ Jesus is. And that he is more than the character that he is defined by. Not just even as the Christmas story unfolds, but even as you take all the stories through Scripture, that Jesus Christ is sometimes merely seen as a human being, as a man, as a religious rabbi. But Jesus was much more than a baby. And if you've not come in your own personal life to grasp that and understand and grab a hold of the beauty of who Jesus Christ is in his ultimate glory as the God himself who came near to change all things in the world for eternity and in our lives today, then you're missing out. I was sharing with someone the other day that came out of some different kind of religious background, and they looked at me square in the face as I was sharing with them, and, and in their particular uh, uh, mode of uh, background, what they grew up in, and there's different kinds of sex, even sex as it relates to Christian, supposed Christian faith, and the scriptures, you know, uh, belief by some people that uh, Jesus was uh, not really God himself, that Jesus was, uh, uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses believe, that Jesus was maybe like God's firstborn son, but that God created Jesus. He was actually sort of the, the archangel Michael. And so then when Jesus came down here, he sort of, uh, God sort of uh, garbed Michael into the body of a Jesus. Or uh, uh, Mormonism might believe that, you know, Jesus was not originally God himself, but then he was sort of like made a God. And, and there's a lot of confusion that can go on. And this is not just in our culture today. It goes all the way back to the time of the first century and the early followers of Jesus Christ. But as I was sharing with this person and we were talking about, they looked in my eyes and they said, so, so what you're telling me is that Jesus was not just 
the Son of God, but that Jesus was God the Son. And it was like sort of a light bulb went off. And whether they were able to grasp that or are able to grasp that as they walk it out, it was this reality that, you know, for a lot of people, they just have the character of Jesus. And maybe they give a lot of good grace and they'll say, hey, he was, you know, the son of God. He's, you know, he wasn't on the plane of God himself. This idea that Jesus was God, always has been God, always will be God. The idea of the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the one existing in a trinity of community. There's theology in that, and you might go, oh, that's just too hard for me to think. You know, I don't want to think about that on this Christmas Sunday. Can't we just stay with the nice nativity story and the characters and that kind of thing? No, you need to grasp this, because if you don't grasp this, your life will be missing, and your eternity may be altered. What you believe about Jesus Jesus Christ and who he is, that he's more than a baby, that he's more than the, the, the man who walked the lowly roads of Galilee. This is front and center critical, critical for your very salvation, but critical for your everyday hope. What do you believe about Jesus? Was he more than a baby? We sing Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God comes near. God came near. And he comes near for our personal salvation, yes, but he came near to change the world and is changing the world, whether we may believe it or not. And he is changing all of eternity. And he can change your personal life today, no matter where you're at. Whether you come in on a high of your charge for Christmas week or whether you come in a little challenged and maybe there's some brokenness and some problems going on, the God who came near, God himself, Jesus, who was born as a babe in a manger, lived, died on a cross, was raised from the grave, ascended to the heavens, and is coming again. That Jesus is who we worship today, and that's the Jesus who can change your very life. We said it's important for us to look at the nativity story, and we sort of just sat last week and we talked about the story. The story's not carried a lot of times. We sort of have the characters in the manger scene, right? But we don't have a lot of uh, uh, empowerment of knowing that story, and the story's not carried through. So if you have your scriptures, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're not going to put the words up here on the screen. You got the references. The two um, accounts of the nativity story are found in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. And we left off the story last week in the Gospel of Luke where one of the relatives of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, who um, had become impregnated by the Holy Spirit to give birth to God himself, Jesus, had uh, went to visit her relative Elizabeth, who also had become pregnant by her husband, Zachariah. And the birth of John the Baptist was going to be through uh, Elizabeth and John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Lord. Zechariah didn't believe that, if you remember, that uh, his wife of old age was going to give birth, and so God had silenced him, and so he couldn't speak. Elizabeth was uh, well along ready to give birth, and we'll pick it up in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that Jesus had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. 
On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name, because you always sort of carry the name down through um, your ancestry. Then they, made, then they made signs to the father, to Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free after nine months. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Following that is Zechariah's song and the description of, You've given us this child, this child who is John the Baptist, would prepare the way of the Lord and declare, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. He lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And that's when he began to proclaim the announcement of Jesus' earthly ministry. Chapter 2 is a common chapter then, and so we head back into it, whether you're reading in your Bibles or on your electronic device. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cranius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Everybody go to your hometown. That's where the census is going to be done. you got to register where you grew up. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So many prophecies were filled through the birth of Christ, as we talked about last week, and here in the town of Bethlehem and the way in which he was born, and the manner in which he was even wrapped. Verse 13, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God. And catch what they say. They didn't say, hey, yo, there's somebody you need to go visit. Somebody had a baby. Wish him well. You know, we're going to provide meals for him for a week. No, the angel from heaven declared, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests this was a proclamation of the glory of god coming down to earth and that his peace his ability to change the the turmoil of life and bring about calm and hope would be upon all people who were receptive to him when the angel had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. A familiar story, right? But the wonder of that story, the more than just a story, to capture our heart afresh and anew this season, this hour, God came in the flesh to save the world from their sins. That's the greatest news that you could possibly have. In fact, that idea that God became flesh is sort of the most wild kind of story you could ever come up with if you were trying to be a screenwriter. How, how, how could that idea be that God became a child, a baby, and that he would be born in such a lowly place as a manger stall? in humility rather than all this glory that you would think would happen. And then the story moving on from there. It's, not, it's a fantastic story, but it's not a fantasy. It's fantastically true. And the fantastic truth has to do with this idea he was more than a baby. Most babies are not created by adding water, right? Babies have an egg and a sperm it fertilizes the spark of life in the womb the baby begins but with Mary there was no fertilization of the egg by humankind but by God himself and the child came into this world but it's interesting because when you look back through the history of the scriptures the idea of Jesus God himself becoming flesh is embedded there in John 1 which describes the birth the entrance of Christ if you will in the world as John would it's not a part of that nativity story of Matthew and Luke he says it simply this way in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Does in the beginning remind you of any other passage in Scripture? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the Apostle John took that very kind of phrase and that idea, and the Word is symbolic of the ultimate voice that spoke things into existence. Or in Greek philosophy, it, it had to do with the divine principle that uh, orchestrated and operated the world. The Word, God, became flesh. It says later in John 1, 14, And this Word dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
The substance and the weight of that truth weighs on us in the beauty of what God did on that night when Christ was brought into the world. But as it says in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, but a son is given. Unto us a child is born, but a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. There's the distinctive mark in this Old Testament prophecy that the uh, eternal God himself was not created, as some people believe today, in the town of Bethlehem and brought into this world. He existed eternally. A child was born But the Son was given because the Son of God always existed. And like I mentioned, it may be a nuance to you, but it's illumination when you start to comprehend it and how a lot of people don't have that good news, and maybe you don't have that good news this morning. But God himself was the one who came to save the world from their sins and to redeem and change your life. And the government will always be on his shoulders We just sang about it. You will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and peace What will have no end. It will go on and on and on and on. If you don't like your politics of today, don't worry about it. The government's going to change. Ultimately, it will change one time forever for the good, and it'll be perfect, and it'll be whole, and there will be not any corruption anywhere or any erroneous uh, kind of policies that you think need to be going a different direction, it will be perfect because God himself, his government, will never end. And that government came and was established through Christ in these days for us to turn our hearts to him. I want to talk about three things just quickly here as it relates to this idea of more than a baby. He was more than a baby in three ways. The first is that he changed the world. Jesus changed the world, and Jesus changed the world because he was the Son of God who came in the flesh. It says this, and there's some verses here in 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's beautiful to unpack in light of Christmas that we don't often do it. And the Apostle Paul says this, so he's down the road, he's looking back on the life of Christ, right? Christ has ascended to the heavens, Paul's got the Holy Spirit, he's doing the ministry, and he's writing letters, and he writes this to the Christians in Corinth, he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, talking about in, in the human being and, and, and the endearment you have towards him. And then he says this, it's interesting, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Do you catch that? Paul was amazed and taken back. He, remember, was confronted by Jesus himself after Jesus ascended to the heavens. On the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, blinded him. Paul had been pushing back against all who were Christians and followers of the way. And Jesus appeared to him and he says, what are you doing, Paul? Why are you pushing back against me? And he says, Lord, Lord. Paul was dramatically converted in that moment and went from being a a Jewish uh, Pharisee to someone who was the greatest missionary in all the world telling people. And he was caught and struck by the reality of not the babe in the manger. He'd heard the story. It'd probably been passed on to him. Maybe he'd come across Luke and interacted with him. 
But what he was amazed by was the Christ, the eternal God, had come in the flesh and appeared to him. And he says, today we no longer regard Jesus according to the flesh. That doesn't mean, mean we deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was 100% human. He was 100% God. But as he worshipped Christ... He was saying, in regards to the flesh, no more. We once thought of that, but now we know who He is, the eternal one true God. Just a couple verses later, it says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. More than a baby. Paul grabbed a hold of it. John grabbed a hold of it. The gospel writers of the nativity scene grabbed a hold of it. And we need to grab a hold of it today because Jesus changes things in our world. He changed the world in multiple ways. If you look at his life, your slav. Pelican wrote this. He was a historian. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 years, 20 centuries. If it were possible, with some sort of supermagnet to pull out all of history, every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much? would be left. Jesus, his life here on earth, impacted and changed the world forever. I list six things there. These six things are six surprising ways that Jesus changed the world. These were enumerated by John Ortberg, and I want to just walk through them. Think about this, how Jesus changed the world, how he was more than a baby. Children, in the ancient world, children were routinely left to die of exposure, particularly if they were the wrong gender. You can guess which one the wrong gender was. They were often sold into slavery. Jesus' treatment of and teachings about children led to the forbidding of such practices as well as orphanages and godparents. A Norwegian scholar named Bake uh, wrote a study of this impact and simply entitled it this, when children become people, the birth of childhood in early Christianity. See, we don't think of it that way, and there's still difficulties today going on in the respecting of children and all that, especially life before the, uh, the birth, life in the womb. But Jesus changed the world as related to how children were to be treated. Education, love of learning led to monasteries, which became the cradle of academic guilds. Universities such as Cambridge, Oxford, and Harvard all began, all began as Jesus-inspired efforts to love God with all of one's mind. The first legislation, legislation to publicly fund education in the colonies was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. Strange title, right? Under the notion that God does not want any child ignorant. The ancient world loved education, but intended for it to be reserved for the elite. The notion that every child bore God's image helped fuel the move for universal literacy. You know, the challenge in Afghanistan about, hey, why aren't the, the girls, the women being allowed to be taught? 
Well, it's a belief, well, you know, you're, you're second class. You shouldn't be taught. This is what you need to do. That whole breakthrough in history that every child and education was valuable came from Jesus and the life that he spoke and he included for all people. Compassion. Jesus had a universal concern for those who suffered that transcended the rules of the ancient world. His compassion for the poor and the sick led to institutions for lepers, the beginning of modern-day hospitals. The Council of Nicaea decreed that what, wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick and the poor. That's why even today, hospitals have names like Good Samaritan, Good Shepherd, or St. Anthony. They were the world's first voluntary charitable institutions. And then humility. The ancient world honored many virtues like courage and wisdom, but not humility. People were generally divided into first class and coach. Rank must be preserved, said Cicero. Plutiarch wrote a self-help book that might crack bestseller list in our day. He titled it, How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. Jesus' life as a foot-washing servant would eventually lead to the adoption of humility as a widely admired virtue. Historian John Dixon writes, It is unlikely that any of us would aspire to this virtue were it not for the historical impact of his crucifixion. Our culture remains cruciform long after it stopped being Christian. Forgiveness. In the ancient world, virtue meant rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. Conan the Barbarian was actually paraphrasing Genghis Khan in his famous answer to the question, what is best in life? He said, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. That used to be the attitude of the world. An alternative idea came from Galilee. What is best in life is to love your enemies and see them reconciled to you. Hannah Arden, the first woman appointed to a full professorship at Princeton, claimed, quote, The discoverer of the role of forgiveness in the realm of human affairs was Jesus of Nazareth. This may be debatable, but he certainly gave the idea unique publicity. And then finally, humanitarian reform. Jesus had a way of championing the excluded that was also downright irritating to those in power. His inclusion of women led to a community to which women flocked in disproportionate numbers. Slaves, up to a third of the ancient population at that time, might wander into a church fellowship and have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them. One ancient text instructed bishops to not interrupt worship to greet a wealthy attender, but to sit on the floor to welcome the poor. The Apostle Paul said, Now there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And Thomas Calhoun wrote that this was the first statement of egalitarianism in human literature. All these six were just examples of how Jesus changed our world. More than a baby, more than someone we worship at Christmas and admire, he is one that we worship today, and he is the answer for today. You know, there's a bit of a, a crime spree, they say, is happening not only in our country, but in California, I guess. I was reading something this morning about something with Macy's and, and what's happened with all that. I came across a statistic uh, that was done 
on the news this week. It was actually a Fox Business poll, and I found this a very interesting poll. Something stood out to me blatantly on it. Most responsible for rising crime rates, and whether that's not all true or whatever, the perception that is true, this whole idea of crime, and where does it come from? And who blames what for crime rates? There was the idea of weaker criminal penalties, availability of guns, decreased police funding, effects of the pandemic, more mental health issues, lack of good jobs, more legal immigration. All of those were on the list. But you know what came in as the top reason that people believed that there's more crime today? Breakdown of moral values. 21% of people believe that's what's going on. And I thought to myself as I saw that statistic on the screen, what do you do with that? What, what do you do with that? You cannot legislate morality. You cannot change the inside of a person's life with laws and rules or with education. A.W. Tozer said in his old days, he said, you take someone who told, uh, would steal railroad ties um, off of railroad tracks, back then I guess it was a thing, and you put them in prison and you educate them while they're in prison, they come out, the only thing that's different is they'll steal the whole railroad. What is the answer when you say there's a loss of moral values? Morality comes by the moral law giver, the one who comes and he orders our life according to what needs to be true and right. But we can't change the world by just telling the world, stop it. How does that work with your kids? Just stop it, right? Maybe try to motivate them, show them some other kinds of ways. You want their life to be changed and altered, and it's this reality that our world needs to be changed. Jesus came, and he changed the world radically in those early centuries. And even to this day, when I see hospitals, when I see educational institutions, and then I sort of see them drifting in certain directions, I'm like, oh, don't go there. Because your foundation rooted in God and an understanding of moral values and whatnot that comes from God is the pathway to go. But Jesus changed the world. He was more than a baby in that regard. Secondly, Jesus changes all of eternity. And he changes all of eternity in this way. It says in that same 2 Corinthians 5 passage, we implore you, Paul said, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Unpack that one a little bit. This babe who was in the manger became the Savior who was on the cross. And from the cradle to the cross, to the grave, to the resurrection, we have found in that a work that is sufficient to bring salvation, the forgiveness of sins in our life, and to reconcile us back to God from our brokenness. Christmas is the story of Jesus. Jesus is not merely someone in the story of Christmas. And Jesus' work moved forward. His ministry, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again. And for all of eternity, it's changed. The direction of which eternity goes and you and I participate in eternity is changed because God came 
near to us. It's interesting when you look in Scripture at this idea of eternity. Eternity is a perfect place. That's why it says that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Eternity is about perfection, but we are not perfect. We are broken people. Even when we're arrogant, we might have our faint moments where we admit, yeah, we got some problems. How does an imperfect, human, broken person get into a perfect heaven? It's not because of our righteousness and us getting our act together. It's because of the righteousness of God being applied to our life through us becoming believers in Jesus. And it's in Him that our eternity can change. It's changed because He became sin for us on that cross and He died for our sins. And when He was raised from the grave and His followers realized He was alive and that the, not only that He died to forgive the penalty of sin but died to the power of sin, the whole world was changed. And eternity is changed. Because you and I, with the righteousness of God, can be in that eternity. You know, if we were to flip forward to the last book here in um, our Bibles, it's the book of Revelation. The guy, John, who said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. That John, he had a vision in the last book of the Bible. And that vision had to do with eternity. And his vision was a real-life experience of the Word, Jesus, in eternity. It says this in Revelation 1. He said, Among the lampstands I saw one standing as a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest, and the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-headed sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its radiance. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. Amen. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. You're not going to see no baby in a manger. I just want you to know that. That's who you're going to see when you see Jesus. And that's more than a baby. That's a Jesus that changes our world and a Jesus who changes our eternity because he can come into our life because of what he did on the cross and what the salvation he is, he is guaranteed for those from every language, tribe, and nation who are followers of him who want to worship like you worship this morning in the heavenly glories. That Jesus has changed the world. He's changed eternity. But I want you to know this. That Jesus can change your life today. He can. And whether you're here or you're watching online, I want you to know it's possible 
to go from brokenness and indifference and double-mindedness and waywardness. Maybe you've climbed climbed the success ladder. You've got to the top and it's not what you thought it would be. And there's a hole in your side. Hole inside needs to be filled by God himself, Jesus. And Jesus can change your life no matter where you're at on your pathway. And that's the great good news of today. God came near and the God who came near, wonderful counselor, mighty uh, everlasting father, the prince of peace, that Jesus is alive. That Jesus we will all see in eternity. But that Jesus is the one who will only allow those into eternity who have received his righteousness by believing in him in this life. There's no good works you can stack up, no many church going, so many, no uh, amount of church going experiences or other kinds of t- things you might tabulate. Our righteousness, scripture says, is as dirty, filthy rags. The righteousness of God needs to come within the one who is pure and holy, and he can change your life, and you do not need to clean up your life in order for it to change. You need him to clean up your life, so invite him to come in. And that's what can happen this Christmas. In that same 2 Corinthians passage, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's why the excitement, that's why the excitement of the shepherds when they heard the pronouncement on that day, glory to God in the highest and on heaven's peace to those on whom his favor rests. His favor rests on those who invite Jesus to come live and reign inside. Is that a decision that you've made in your life? A decision you've made prior to this Christmas? If not, this Christmas, this week, here this morning, you can make that decision. If God can place himself in a human body to save the world, then he can place himself in the brokenness of your life and make you whole. The Apostle Paul said it in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, that is the full nativity story. More than just a story, more than a baby, Jesus is the Savior of the world and is your Savior if you'll invite him to come in. Is Jesus in your life, forever leading your life, the everyday hope of your life? What do you want this Christmas? What do you want more of? There was a hymn that we used to sing in church growing up, and I remember we would build out this hymn a lot. I liked it. It's something that comes to my mind every now and then, even today. And the hymn goes like this. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. 
More about Jesus on his throne, riches and glory, all his own. More of his kingdom's sure increase. More of his coming prince of peace. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. What's the hunger today? Is it a hunger for more things in this world? And maybe it's not stuff. Maybe it's more status, more relationships, more prominence. You name it. But is there a hunger for you to have more of Jesus? Not the Jesus who was the baby in the manger, or the character, caricature that is often depicted in our world, but the living Jesus who you will see in all of his radiant glory, as John did. Is that Jesus someone that you want in your life? Is that Jesus the one who is leading your life? Is that Jesus the one who is your everyday hope in life? When you're in the darkest pit and you're crying out to God, why is this happening? Where do I go? Do you cry out, I need more help, I need more money, I need more people? Or do you say, I need more, more of Jesus? There should be a hunger that wells up in our hearts as Christian believers, for sure. But a hunger, if you're outside of the Christian faith, to know God. And the means was made through Jesus for you to know him. Is there that hunger? John then said in John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Will you bow your heads with me as the worship team comes? Lord Jesus, in these moments as we close out this Christmas Sunday morning, we are mindful that you were more than a baby. And our thoughts go to Easter Sunday morning when you were raised from the dead and you broke the chains of death in Hades and you hold the keys now and forever. Lord Jesus, if we've never come to a place in our personal life where we've repented of our sins and crossed that line and invited you to come into our life, I pray here this morning by sinful invitation that if there's anyone here or watching online that they would just bow their heads and do that. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in your name. If you're here this morning and you need to know Jesus as somebody that's more than a babe in a manger, someone that lived a good life here and made some impact, but you want to experience him as your savior and one who is your everyday hope, who can bring you peace and joy and love, then I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me if you've never done it before. Dear God, Thank you for sending your son, God himself, into this world. I believe Jesus is who he said he was, the one who was the great I am. And I repent of my sin and my indifference, and I turn my heart to you now. Jesus, come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord. 
come in and bring your righteousness. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Scripture says. Invite him in. It's not by the set number of words. It's a disposition of the heart and a disposition of your life. Surrender to him. Invite him in now. May the babe who was born in the manger, the child who was born, may the son who was given, may that son come into your life as surely as he came into this world. And may he set you free. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you this morning to follow up with that prayer. Your connect card in front of you has a place that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. And I want to encourage you to mark that and turn it in. I'm going to ask the ushers if they take their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings on this Christmas Sunday morning, but also to receive those connect cards. If you're not quite at a place yet, though, to make a commitment to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to come and meet with someone in our prayer area down here, up front to the right. And someone will be glad to just pray with you. Maybe there's a particular need that you're carrying this morning. I want to encourage you to bring that need and pray with someone. But if you committed your life to Christ this morning, mark that card. We want to follow up with you and be able to encourage you and champion you in your newfound faith as you serve the Lord every day of your life as he enables. As the ushers come, they're going to receive the tithes and the offerings, your connect cards. I just want to encourage you again to invite people to come back. We're going to give a salvation message again on Christmas Eve. Maybe you know someone that needs to know Jesus as their Savior. We're going to keep unpacking the story. One hour, in and out. But friends, we're going to offer up the good news of salvation. Take that card you were given today and invite someone. And then the same with your offering. Just continue to give to the Lord as you uh, have opportunity to as we finish out this year. Invited the team to come back and they're going to lead us in a really good song. Because this Christmas season is about Jesus, but it's a season to celebrate with joy. Would you close us out, team, as we worship the Lord this morning? Oh, oh.
team for leading us today. I appreciate it so much. Prince, it's good to have you up here, man. Like that? We got our good friend Tamara over here on keys that we've known for many years. We're able to lead us today from the keys. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie and Jennifer, for being so faithful in the trenches and Melissa. All you guys in the back here, yeah. We're going to keep worshiping all week long right? Headspace, where it needs to be. The one who came into this world to change this world, to change eternity, and to change your life. That hope is there. May you now go in the blessing and the covering of Jesus Christ himself through his Holy Spirit to encounter this week in the goodness and the beauty of what the Savior did when he came into this world. And may you be filled with joy from the one who is the light of the world. Go in peace, proclaiming his name. We'll see you Christmas Eve, five o'clock. God bless.